Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome on in. It is Tobin's Fight Show here on 790 The Ticket. As we'll dive all over the world of mixed martial arts and boxing over the next hour, We'll start off with a little bit of Bellator, which was on Friday night. You had Patricio Pitbull defending his featherweight championship against Emmanuel Sanchez as these two were in a little bit of a rematch in the midst of the featherweight Grand Prix semifinal matchup. The winner was going to go to face uh, AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull. I talked about this this week. We had uh, Josh Thompson from the Bellator broadcast on my morning show with Leroy Horde, which you guys can catch every single weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. And, you know, I was talking to Josh about the idea of what a feather in the cap it is for Bellator, which is having this big launch on Showtime this week that they have Patricio Pitbull, a, a guy who has a knockout victory over Michael Chandler, who is bursting onto the scene in the UFC. And I think if you've been a mixed martial arts fan, You've known Michael Chandler's been a very, very good fighter for a long, long time. That he is one of the top 155-pound fighters in the world. Um, But the fact that Bellator's featherweight champion and lightweight champion, he's a two-division champion, has a knockout victory over the guy is a huge feather in the cap to Bellator. It is. And Scott Coker, who's a guy who's been touting for a while the the dominance of his 205 division and his light heavyweight division being better than the UFCs or the best in the world, and certainly get the argument there. You know, I think even more of an importance would be that you have a guy here who has a knockout victory over the guy who's fighting for the belt in the UFC and what's really been lauded as their best division for years. That to me is huge and really speaks volumes to your champions and what you have coming up here uh, in the, in the featherweight finals. Even if it's not, even if Michael Chandler is not in that division says something even more that this guy's such a monster and such a badass that he's gone and beaten fighters that are way bigger than him. You know, Josh was talking this week. I mean, he could be, 135 pound fighter they want to and yeah if you look at his stature he probably could be um and if you looked at this real matchup you look about this matchup about AJ McKee uh because I've you know look the fight with Sanchez he diced through him he got into that center of the octagon he found the first left hand he dropped Sanchez threw a guillotine on him pulled guard and slept him uh you know the ref you know went over to the hand of Sanchez night night that's all she wrote 
and Pitbull remains undefe- uh, remains uh, the featherweight champion of the world, and now he goes on to take on undefeated AJ McKee for the Grand Prix Championship and for a million dollars, which is really cool. But they have this fight in Bellator coming up with with Patricio Pitbull, who's been a long-standing guy. You know, for the longest time, I do think Michael Chandler was probably the most recognizable face of Bellator. And now he's over the UFC. Now you could say that really that pillar belongs to Patricio. And you have this up-and-comer in AJ McKee who they have had this more interesting philosophy to me that they that that has been we're going to invest in these young fighters we're going to invest in their careers the Aaron Picos the Valerie Loretas uh and the AJ McKees we're going to we're going to watch the entire climb we're going to put them on prelims on Facebook and YouTube and then eventually you'll see them on the networks and eventually they'll main event and hopefully they'll be stars because that's really how you build these things up and they have a featherweight championship right now, which, you know, I mean, I, I don't. If you were to put it up against the featherweight championship, which was supposed to take place last last week with Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega, you know, I think if it was done right and you have the power of Showtime behind you, yeah, maybe you know, maybe because if you were to put Volkanovsky. Uh, and Brian Ortega on pay-per-view when you would put one on Showtime, which one does better? I would say Patricio versus AJ McKee probably has a good chance to do better. It's not ESPN. I mean, it's a different story because more people have ESPN, obviously. But um, if you were to go apples for apples on it, I mean, of what if you told me I could only watch one, um, Patricio versus AJ McKee is a really, really intriguing featherweight fight. And... You know, Volkanovski's not like the most exciting fighter in the world. Patricio Pitbull, every one of his fights seems to be exciting. AJ McKee's, you know, got everything in the toolbox when he fights. Great personality. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a comparable title fight between just the top two. Now, look, the depth isn't what it is. That's that you know that's going to be a hard battle for Bellator to always climb. But I do think that you know with the idea that Michael Chandler is going over there and he's fighting for the UFC lightweight championship, the idea that Pitbull knocked him out, it, it, I don't really think that there's many argument, many other arguments that need to be made for how good Patricio is and how good a featherweight championship and what this featherweight championship should mean. Um and I think the fans know. I think the fans know that there there are look legitimate great fighters in other organizations. We saw this with Justin Gaethje coming over, talking with Josh this week. We talked about all the strike force guys who came over to the UFC and made so much noise. It's just a fact. I mean, like that, you know, it's not it's not the end all be all. And especially now that you're seeing uh, a big youth infusion with the UFC because they're cutting a lot of the more well-known names. We've seen this with Yoel Romero and Rumble Johnson that's coming up. We've seen Junior Dos Santos get cut. We're seeing, uh, I, I think when you see the influx of youth that the UFC is going to have, you might even see that that talent gap come a little bit closer in arguments. UFC is always going to have the bigger platform. They're on ESPN. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Bellator is on the, on the move of a takeover. I think they kind of dabbled in that a little bit when they went pay-per-view style. Um you know, they tried to make it seem like, oh, we're going to make some moves. And, you know, they did it, I think, on the back of a 
uh, a Chael Sonnen who doesn't quite have the gravitas that he did uh, or used to have. And, you know, just, just the same trash talk gimmicks didn't quite work like they used to. Um, and I think we're seeing an about face from that. I think that Scott Coker really believed in the legendary fights. Some of them were really fun in, in, in the lead up to it. Like Kimbo slice versus my guy Dada 5,000. It was not a good fight. It was, uh, really what turned out to be a pretty dangerous fight for what was going on in both of those guys' bodies while, uh, while they were taking on each other between the, the interior organs of, Dada fighting uh, Dada, what he was going through, and Kimbo dealing with what he had going on with his heart and and had PEDs in his system as well. So um, they've really deterred from that and, and, and really have tried to go through a bit of a youth movement, but they also have certainly helped, helped supplement that with some former UFC names. So, look, I, th- this this featherweight championship that's come up for them has, has really... Uh, Lined up well for them. They got some good fights that are coming up. Bader versus Leona Machida. Rumble versus Yoel, as I've mentioned. And they do have the young names that I think are fun for everybody to go watch. So this is interesting. And I do think, you know, it's so funny, though, that the getting back to the Michael Chandler thing, because I want to kind of jump on over to one of the pieces of news from this week is Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor feels like it's a, it's going to be announced officially very, very soon. Uh, Ariel Hawani reported this week that Dustin has uh, officially signed for the fight and that Conor McGregor is going to sign for the fight, and it's going to be taking place International Fight Week, July uh, UFC 264, I think is the number it's going to be. Um, I think that's right. And this kind of goes back to my point a couple weeks ago where... I think the idea that Dustin is not getting the title shot, even if it is against Connor, is really dumb. Because if you really were to extrapolate the Michael Chandler thing, like the Pitbull loss wasn't that long ago. And I just think that it would have been nice to see Michael go in there and get another win other than just over Dan Hooker. Um, it just seems like it's it's too fast-tracked. If, you know... I think that for all Dustin's done, for even Oliveira, you know, how much more Oliveira had to do to get to this spot. Um, Michael Chandler getting a title shot this quick is is not something I'm, uh, you know, is not something that I, 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 I'm okay with as the weeks go on. I just think about it more and more. Because I really wanted Michael Chandler's UFC run to be something super special. I wanted it to be against... You know, maybe some of the more recognizable names. I didn't picture him beating Dan Hooker, who is a very good fighter, but isn't uh, isn't the cream of the crop when it comes to the lightweight division. He had a sensational win over him, um, so he has that going for him. But to me, I just think that to deny Dustin Poirier a shot at the belt just because he wants to have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to you know, make some fu money on a pay per view, and as we're seeing with the John Jones fight, opportunities like this are very few and far between with the UFC. To have to also choose accolades and and, and world championships is kind of silly when he's clearly the most deserving guy. Even if the other guy standing across the ring from him isn't, we've seen this done before. So, 
all in all, um, you know, I, I still wish that, you know, and, and the other thing is people are going to be using this like against Dustin, that he cares more about money than world championships. And I think if you've heard Dustin afterwards, how much he's put into this game, blood, sweat, and tears, it's such a silly thing to, to, to have to one, hold up against a guy who's, you know, one of the biggest badasses in the sport. And two, um, is silly just because you feel like you don't want to give Conor McGregor too much. Like when all of a sudden did we, uh, did we stop breaking the rules for Conor McGregor? Conor McGregor's even talking this week about making a McGregor belt. As far as the fight, um, I mean, I, I always, you know, I, I, I give you my initial pulse of it when it's announced, and then, uh, you know, we talk more about it in the lead-up to it. There's a couple things. One, I think so much has been made of the leg kicks uh, in retrospect of the last fight. And... One of the things that I think is overlooked is how much better Dustin's boxing was. It just was. His hands were better. His boxing skill set was better. Everything that he brought to the table with his hands were better than Connor's. Connor's got that monster left hand, and, and he's always going to have that. That is going to be his bread and butter. Um, but we've seen Connor in some some real slugfests. I mean, we've seen him in the Nate Diaz fights. We saw him, you know, get outstruck. He, the best shot in the fight in the fight with Khabib was, you know, from Nurmagomedov. So, you know, Connor, Connor's always had that eraser, but the eraser's wearing thin a little bit, as far as just that magic touch that it has when you when it when it used to touch you, it used to dead you, and you know he could just sit there from such a great range. And pick his opponents apart. He didn't look like he had that same, you know, that same movement. Didn't have that same bounce. Didn't come with that same stance. Um, but he also just didn't have as good a hands as Dustin did. He didn't, and I don't think that's going to change in this next fight, especially with all of the the focus and all of it. Thinking, oh, it was these kicks. It was these kicks. The kicks debilitated me. Yeah, the kicks were a part of it. But I also saw a guy in Dustin Poirier that looked better in the pocket, is better with both weapons, both hands, quite frankly, and now has the mental factor over Connor, you know, has all that stuff of the the past knockout loss, all that stuff is gone. And the other thing that I think Connor doesn't have that the other rematch did was time. You know, Connor and Dustin are going to do this turnaround relatively quickly, quickly. Um, now you could look at me and you could say, Tobin, look, what about Nate Diaz? You know, the Nate Diaz fight, Connor and him, they had a pretty, uh, a relatively quick turnaround and, and, and Connor looked a lot better. Well, there's a couple things. One, it was still a very, very close fight, a very close fight. The other thing is, uh, the thing that really got better for Connor was gas tank. That was the thing that was very noticeable is that he he geared up for this 170 pound fight he seemed to be in much better shape he was able to go through the five rounds and that's not really a stylistic in my mind change that's just him gearing up his body in a different way so maybe connor comes at this fight with a more vintage style but 
Dustin has faced that before. It's not like they're going to be surprised. You know, maybe they felt like they took on a less complex version of Conor McGregor. Um, but in my mind, the styles of these fights and the skills of these two fighters, it still is on the trajectory of Dustin continues to look like he's inclining and Conor continues to look like he's declining or plateauing. And so if you're going to tell me that in the span of, what are we talking, seven months, that there's going to be this vast difference between what we saw in the last fight and this fight, same weight class, I'm going no sale on that. So, yeah, as anybody who listens to this show knows, I'm a huge Dustin Poirier fan. I'm not a Conor McGregor hater. You know, I'm not like one of these guys that's that's jumped off as, uh, 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 you know, has, has, you know, said he's overrated or anything like that. Um, but we do have to say, you know, we, we do have to be fair and realize that as his career has gone on, as he's taken on bigger guys, as he's gotten, he's just not as special. He's just not the same type of guy that he was at featherweight or even the guy that uh, that beat Eddie Alvarez. I don't know if that guy's coming back. And even if that guy, e- even with that, I don't know uh, because I do think the mental warfare and all that type of stuff was so special from the perspective of getting into his opponent's heads. I don't think he can do that with Dustin. Dustin knocked him out. He's the first guy to ever do it. You know, what, what, what could he possibly say in the lead up? Oh, I knocked you out seven years ago? All right, cool, buddy. Well, four months ago, I, I, you know, I obliterated you. So it's interesting, but still looking forward to the fight. Nonetheless, it, it doesn't mean I don't think Connor can find a way. I don't think he's going to win. I think Dustin's going to win. Um, but certainly, like, look, Connor's still uh, uh, the first simultaneous two division champion. He still, I believe, has still has a, a, a very, very powerful left hand. Um, I think if he can mix up the kicks a little bit better, if he can, if he can establish that distance, you know, if he, if he, especially if he could be, be a, you know, it's almost like one of those things if it, it would behoove him to be a little bit more patient in this fight rather than just making it a firefight right away. Um, you know, but then again, he's usually better in the first, you know, three minutes of a fight than he is at any other point of a match. But it's one of those where I feel like he's got to almost trick Dustin a little bit. He's got to set him up. He's got to be a little bit more savvy to uh, to get Dustin Poirier off of his game, respect it a little bit more. Because if he's going to come forward simple like he did last time and they're just going to be into a straight boxing match, I think, I think Dustin's going to obliterate him again. We'll see if he's got anything new for it. And I can't wait for it nonetheless. We'll get to some of the other news and notes from the week right after this. Welcome back, Tobin's Fight Show here on 790, the ticket. We roll on. Uh, some other fight news this week. Leon Edwards has his next opponent. And I was shocked by this one, man. I was shocked by this. He is going to be fighting Nate Diaz in a five-round co-main event coming up at UFC 262, which is going to have... 17,000 fans in Houston. Apparently, it's sold out in minutes uh, from what the UFC announced. And fun fight. Good for Leon. You know, Leon is, uh, I, I think that we talked about this with the, the Bilal Muhammad fight. I w- found it hard to believe that he was going to give Bilal a, an immediate rematch. Don't forget, 
Bilal and him, Bilal was a, a, a last minute replacement. He, if you're Leon Edwards in that spot and you've gone through all the things that he's gone through, you're literally looking for anybody to step into the octagon with you. He did look good in that first round. Uh, he did look like he was well on his way to getting a win, but it is fighting. So you can't completely uh, put it away. Um, this is going to be a fight that I think can definitely put him on the map. I might, you know, it helped with uh, with Jorge Masvidal, even though Masvidal was definitely on his rise. You know, when he got that win over Nate Diaz and The Rock is putting the BMF title around his waist, I do think it, it takes you up another notch even more. Nate Diaz brings a lot of buzz to the table. He is one of the most popular fighters on the planet. Uh, he's got a, I mean, when I say that the Diaz brothers have a cult following, I don't even feel like that does it justice because... You know, they, you know, that, that whole like undisputed, undefeated gimmick that we had with Sean O'Malley when he was talking with him and, uh, with Chael Sonnen tried that back in the day. Uh, like they actually believe that with the Diaz brothers, like it's it, it, the code that the Diaz brothers live by with who wins, who loses. It's, uh, the, 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 the people who follow that with them, they're, they're a next level of nutty. So it's, a, it's a good one for, for Leon because, Though he's not, I think, taking on this, you know, this guy in ATS who is this overwhelming contender that's going to be the uh, the gatekeeper to a title shot. You know, he doesn't have to do much work as it is anyway, because, you know, Leon is number, I think it was number two or three in the in the uh, in the in the welterweight rankings anyway. So you, you do a fight that is a big money fight, a big money fight in that it's going to get you a ton of attention. And, you know, even though Nate Diaz is been inactive and he's not ranked, it's still going to be one that people remember. It's actually almost one of the things where he was in this position where he was going to fight Hamzat Shemaev, a guy who also wasn't ranked and doesn't really have the fame that Nate Diaz has. And if he beats him, it's almost like he's just the exposer. I don't know what that does for him. But if he beats Nate Diaz, it's it's probably going to do a ton for him. It's probably going to do a ton for him. And Nate, if he gets this and he beats Leon Edwards, then he's legitimately back into the title, uh, title picture because he beat number three in the world. So... It is a it's a good fight for both guys. It's a five round co main event, which is is uh, is I honestly think is great for Nate. Um, the thing that he's obviously got to watch out for is he's gonna get cut at some point. Hopefully, it's not uh, vicious enough to where anybody's gonna consider stopping it, because that is what cost him in the uh, in the Jorge Masvidal fight. Now he was getting pretty badly beaten up in that Jorge Masvidal fight. You know, he could sit here and say, yeah, the, the, he could tell that the, the fight was swinging a certain way. Oh, that Masvidal is not a guy who typically burns out. Maybe he was getting, you know, maybe he was getting a little tired from whooping his ass so much, but nonetheless, he put himself in a really, really bad spot and he has to, he has to fight a lot smarter. I think against Leon, uh, who also has a lot to prove. So that's going to be an interesting matchup coming on up. And we're talking not too long. It's what next month because we got uh, at the end of this month, we got ourselves UFC 261 with Jorge Masvidal taking on Kamaru Usman. And we did get some news on that from Colby Covington. Colby Covington, he said to the media this week that he plans to show up 
to UFC 261. He wants to be the backup fighter for uh, for somebody. And we know that Colby trains in uh, Miami. So was it a five-star? It's a five-hour drive. Maybe he flies up. Who knows? But uh, it, it, ain't, it, ain't too, it ain't too bad for him. It ain't too bad for him. So we'll see what happens with Colby Covington. Um, as right now, he's kind of with that dance party. I, mean, I think the fight they probably would have liked to do would be Leon versus Colby. Um, and then the winner definitely gets a title shot. But it is interesting, you know, if Colby's just going to kind of wait this thing out. Because I would say if Leon gets this win over Nate, he's probably going to go in line for the title. Um, you know, does Colby fight Wonder Boy? Does he fight Gilbert Burns? Like, he's going... He, I feel like he's going to have to eventually get somebody in this mix to uh, to just remind to, to just go. Does he go fight a guy like Vicente Luque who's hot and just beat, you know, Tyron Woodley? I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Michael Kies has been calling him out a lot. I, I doubt that, you know, somebody ranks so far below Colby. He's going to want a piece of He seems to be very selective of who he's going to go about. Uh, but the thing with Colby, man, is you know as much as as much of uh, the crap that he talks. Um, if it's not Camaro, like he's a good matchup against any of these other guys because of the pace that he puts on, and because of his wrestling prowess, I do feel like he is uh, he's a dangerous matchup for a lot of these other guys. Maybe Kiesa presents some issues with the jujitsu. Gilbert, I mean, it could catch him with something weird. Uh, certainly Gilbert striking. I think you'd give him a, a little bit of a slight advantage. And maybe he's not scared of the takedown, um, you know, but Leon, Steven, Wonderboy Thompson, even Jorge Masvidal. Like, I do think that a lot of that stuff is, uh, you know, could weigh towards Colby's side, uh, with Kamara. Listen, we've seen the fight. It was a really close fight. It was a really good fight. Um, I would probably just say in the striking department, you give Colby the benefit when it comes to pace, but you know, power, and being able to inflict a little bit more damage, like we saw the fight. I mean, you know, Kamaro definitely can bring that. So, um, interesting one, interesting one as far as that's concerned, and uh, and where we go from this. Now, uh, the big story this week around the UFC, I would say, is surrounding the heavyweight championship because we had France and Ghana win last week. We obviously dedicated a lot of our show to it. And Francis is your new heavyweight champion, beat Stipe, second round knockout. You know, Francis finally getting to the mountaintop where it's been a long time coming. It's hard not to root for Francis and feel great for him. Everything that he's gone through in his life. And really how he earned his way back to this. You know, this is not a guy who who got to uh, get right back in there for a title shot. He had to go... Uh, really almost on the war path. Like he, he had the fight with Derek Lewis. That was a weird fight. And then really steamrolled everybody else that he was in there with. So, and, and guys, you would think be tough matchups, Curtis blades, you know, I picked Steve to beat him in the rematch. He looked like a better fighter. He had the well-roundedness. He had, he, he, he looked in fantastic shape. Didn't get gassed. Didn't look nervous. Stop takedowns, diversify with his strikes. He just, he, everything that he said he was doing, um, rang true. It rang true. And we came out of the show last week and I said, look, there's only one fight to make all respect to Derek Lewis. Uh, I love Derek Lewis. The fight to make is John Jones, him versus John Jones. I honestly think is the biggest fight right now. The UFC can make bar none. 
Uh, I honestly think it could be bigger than Connor and Khabib. I really, really do. With with just the the lineage that John Jones has, plus the cartoonish highlight reel knockouts you could have with Francis. The fact that Francis can do interviews now and can can be a bit of a media darling. Uh, the fact that John Jones could be a bit of the bad guy. You know, it's it's kind of good guy versus bad guy in this. I think that it really had this is the potential to be a monster, monster event. But we already could tell last week with some of the comments that Dana was making that this doesn't feel like it's going to get made easily. And there's also the hang up of John and Derek having the same management. You know, what do you do if you're if you're you know the guys at, at first round management and the John thing's going nowhere? And you also represent Derek, and they offered Derek a huge payday to fight Francis, not a John Jones payday, but a Francis. Like you're gonna deny your client that because you know John is doing all this work. That's a tough spot. That's a that's a really really tough spot to be in. So I will say this: um, the big juicy nugget that came out of this week was John revealed that he had some conversations with the UFC about eight to 10 million to do the fight. And he said, that's not enough. And it's one of these things that's tough to talk about with the UFC because it's not even like, like boxing feels like they're a lot more willy nilly with saying what people make, you know, uh, we know that, we know purse splits. We know that guys are, but like, for example, George Cambosis versus Tiafimo Lopez. We know what those guys are going to make. It's all bid on. It's public. The stuff's all on record. With the UFC being a private company, they don't have to release this stuff other than what's given to the commission, like the disclosed purse. A lot of these guys make stuff on the back end. A lot of these guys make points. A lot of these guys don't, you know? And so I would say, I was looking at, I was comparing this to Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. And I think both of those guys made somewhere in the ballpark of like $14 million a piece for that fight. And a lot of people said that they took a bath on it. Like it was a, it, the, the promotions took a bath on it because it only did $800 million. So, you know, if John's looking for $30 million for this fight, um... I don't know. I don't know what the number is. It's tough to know what that, what that, what is that magic mark? I think the thing that would help is if the UFC and him didn't have such a antagonist type of relationship, you know, where this is part of the reason that John was having issues in the first place. And the reason that he's on the shelf is because he wasn't happy with his UFC pay. And, there's really only one time we can remember John really stepping out to really try and go make a super fight. And it was after he knocked out DC and he called out Brock Lesnar. We're like, Oh, we all want to see that fight. I can't wait. And it never happened because of the steroid tests. So there's part of me that gets it from the UFC that John's been a guy that they've never given up on. You know, he's not, he's never been the biggest draw in the world. And they've never like really just said, "Hey, we're tired of all this guy, uh, and 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 what a pain in the ass he is, and all this type of stuff." 
But I also, but mostly I get it from John's perspective in that this is, you, you know this is a fight that everybody wants to see. Everybody, any, any UFC fan that has been following John Jones' career, we have been wondering about his move to heavyweight forever. We've been wanting really two things. And, and you know, this is probably part of the sick nature of fa- fight fans, but we were wondering two things. Okay, John's great at light heavyweight, but how would he do against a guy who has, you know, touch you to death, knockout power? How would his chin hold up? And how would he do at heavyweight? Because, you know, a couple, we never got to see him versus Rumble Johnson, a matchup I think a lot of fight fans have always wanted to see. And we've never gotten to see him above 205. This covers both of those. And I think a guy in Francis is, is absolutely right for becoming one of the biggest stars in the UFC. He is going to have, uh, if they promote it right, he is going to have a, 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 a Tyson-like quality for how scary his knockouts are. Because that's what it is. It's not like you're, you're going in when you watch Mike Tyson fights. It's not that, you know, some people complained about the competition. But a lot of people just wanted to see the show. They wanted to go in there and just be dazzled by what that guy could do. And with Francis... I can just say this is a guy who watches a lot of fights that his knockouts are just a different level of scary. They are. You know, what he did to Alistair Overeem, scary. What he did to Jarzinho Rosenstrike, scary. What he did to uh what he what he did to Stipe, scary. And you're just like, I don't know, is that guy gonna be the same after that? So you put this ultimate challenge in front of John Jones. Like, I ah, get him wanting to get all of his money. I hope ultimately they can come to this agreement because the uh, the claim from Dana last week that Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou is the fight to make is whole is unbelievably stupid. And it's not because I don't like watching either one of those guys fight. I do. But we've seen the fight already, and it was awful. And maybe it was under different circumstances because Derek wasn't in as good a shape and Francis was a little bit m- mentally frazzled. But nonetheless, we saw the fight. It sucked. And it's not really a clash of styles. I think it's going to be pretty similar unless somebody just really puts pedal to the metal in that I think they're going to be biding their time a lot over five rounds and someone's going to look for an opening to find the knockout blow. These are two guys coming to the same battle with the same gun. Um... Uh, and with John, John has such a, you know, to keep the weapons that he has such an arsenal that he's bringing to the table. One of his insane reach two his wrestling ability, uh, th- just as well roundedness to strike everywhere. You know, his ability to attack your knees, your limbs, your joints, his elbows, uh, how strong is he? Is he strong enough to 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 go up against Francis Ngannou? Like I think these are all just such fascinating questions that I want answered. So I really, really want the UFC to pony up and make this fight happen because I really think that it could be one of the biggest fights in UFC history. I think it's the biggest fight easily the UFC has on the table right now. I don't think a con- I don't think Connor Dustin three is that. 
I don't think Jorge Masvidal versus Usman is that. I don't think Jorge Masvidal versus Covington is that. Um, I don't really know what I mean. Maybe, maybe if Connor goes and he were to knock out Dustin, Khabib's fight, like maybe that's as big as this right now. Okay. Um, but this one is really, really big right now and doesn't have any maybes, ifs. It's just a question of price. And, you know, if it's not oh, 8 to 10, won't get it done. Well, 11, you know, for John, uh, it's it's one of those things where it's almost like you hope ESPN, ESPN hey, step in and be like, Dana, come on, bro, let's make this fight happen. Uh, but it's almost like he likes the game. I, I tell you, it's like he's such a shark as a businessman. He almost likes getting it because eventually these deals can happen if it's a last-minute thing. Like if Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou was agreed upon and then Francis or if uh, Derek ended up getting an injury or COVID or something, God forbid, then they would come to the table just to save a pay-per-view and make John happy. Like they, It almost feels sometimes like the UFC could make these deals happen, but they just don't want to feel like the fighter got one over on them. So I hope it's, I, I really, really hope it gets made. We're back after this. Welcome back, everybody. It's Tobin's Fight Show here on 790 The Ticket. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it, as always. If you missed any of it, download the Odyssey app today, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and you can get the podcast subscribed there. Also available on Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are available. But uh, the Odyssey app is fantastic. You guys can do the uh, the rewind feature. If you missed any of this show today or you're just getting into us late, you can go roll it back to the top of the hour and... Listen to it from the start. So you got that going for you. I want to get into a little bit of sweet science. But before I do that, I saw this little uh, uh, this little piece of news this week that Mike Goldberg, the, uh, the former voice of the UFC, is apparently no longer part of the Bellator broadcast team, that they have let him go. They are going to go. Um, I would imagine this is a budget thing. This is because they, they're, they had more Ronaldo on the call this past week and Moro is the voice of Bella uh, is the voice of Showtime Boxing. So I, they got a double feature coming up next week with uh, the Geron Ennis versus Jose Lipinets and Bader versus uh, Machida. So I don't know if he's calling both of them or what, but Mike Goldberg is no longer part of the, uh, the, the Bellator broadcast team, which um, Moro's great. I like Moro Ronaldo calling fights a lot i like uh i think both of, I, I think both uh i think the the analyst like mccarthy's okay i like josh thompson on the table it was cool having him on the show this week um chael's always great when they have chael uh chael being a part of it i don't know if that's uh i, I didn't see any news that he's no longer part of it chael's always chael's like the only guy like nobody cares what his contract is he's somehow able to do Bellator, UFC, everybody loves him. Whatever Chael wants to do, he can do. I think that's because he's just he's kind of like the OG, uh, one of the OG broadcasters. But um, yeah, Mike Goldberg no longer a part of it, which like, sucks for him because I don't really know where he goes from here. Um, as far as like when he got to the Bellator thing, I was like, all right, cool. You know what? At least you'll still get to hear a name synonymous with mixed martial arts don't really know what that opportunity is there. Cause I know, remember, I remember like Goldberg had like a, uh, 
he had like a little stint doing NFL games and it went really bad. It was like a very like go look up Mike Goldberg. I think it's, it was a Vikings game or just look up Mike Goldberg NFL and he uh, he had a really poor performance and then like got really into it with people on Twitter and I think he was like done with it after that. Um but that sucks. Yeah, it sucks for Mike Goldberg. And the thing is, you know, uh and I've said this, you know, the UFC, you know, have they missed him? I think maybe when he first left, I think John Anik took a lot of heat, but I don't, I mean, John Anik has become such a great broadcaster. Um, he really is like, he's just so prepared. He's really good. He knows how to, uh, he knows how to, to weave his analysts in really well. I would say the only thing, the only criticism I have of John Anik at this time is like when it's John, Joe Rogan and DC, you don't really hear John because I feel like he, has so much reverence for those guys that he's letting them talk too much. And we get like no John Anik. And I do like him on the broadcast. So um that's the you know that's kind of the only thing I got on him, which I don't feel like is much of a criticism. It's like, hey, we're not getting enough of you. Um but yeah, Mike Goldberg, no longer part of the Bellator team, Scott Coker said this week. So uh who knows? We'll see what uh we'll see what's next for Mike. Uh who is, you know, everybody knows here we go. Virtually identical. Uh, as far as boxing news is concerned this week, a uh, few news and notes to get to. The biggest is that Manny Pacquiao and Terrence Crawford are reportedly in talks to fight this June. This is really awesome for a couple reasons. One, Terrence Crawford is going to get the big opponent that um, he's been he's been dying to get. I don't know how much credit Terrence is going to get for this win because... He's taking on a guy who's 42 years old, and I feel like whenever the odds come out on this, and I don't know, maybe they already have. Let me see if I can find that. Crawford, Pacquiao, odds. All right, let's see if anything comes up early. Um, Manny Pacquiao opens up as a plus 250. It's honestly not as overwhelming as I thought it was going to be. I thought that Crawford is a uh, he's minus 300. So I, th- I honestly thought it was going to be much, much bigger. Um, but I do think for him, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much he's going to gain from this other than finances, which is maybe all he cares about. I don't know. But as far as like credit is concerned, it's a great name to have on your resume. I just don't know. Like, what has it done for Joe Horn? You know, Joe Horn went and beat Manny Pacquiao. Beat, I put in, in serious air quotes because, you know, I thought Manny got screwed in that fight. But he ended up fighting Terrence Crawford and Joe Horn got his ass kicked. So I don't know what it does for Terrence in that regard other than gives him maybe a little bit more mainstream um, appeal and maybe, you know, helps him in these Errol Spence negotiations. But, you know, I still think it's one of those things where even, even the, hey, you get the Manny Pacquiao fight, Errol Spence would take it in a second. So... Not blaming Terrence Crawford for taking the fight. Don't get me wrong, but it's still not. I think the 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 the. I hate saying the term "pure boxing fan." I don't think it's a boxing fan. I think if you're a boxing fan, you'd still rather see Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence than you would see him versus Manny Pacquiao. Honestly, when I saw, you know, Manny versus Mikey Garcia or Manny versus Ryan Garcia, I was like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, like a young guy. 
23 years old, taking on a legend. That's kind of cool. Uh, with Terrence, I'm just like, I mean, I think we all know. I think we think Terrence is just a better fighter right now. Um, I, you know, I never count Manny Pacquiao out because he's got that, you know, flash knockdown power and can always surprise his opponents. But, you know, it feels like Terrence with age, you know, switchability, you know, just not intimidated to, to get into the fire, just all around boxing skill set. It feels like he's just got everything going for him going into this. So, I mean, he's there's a reason he's a minus 300 favorite, and I think he should probably even be more. But, one, you know, if he does do what essentially the odds say he's supposed to do, where does he go from there? What's the jumping off point? We also got news this week. Devin Haney, he is going to be fighting Jorge Linares. That's going to be uh, taking place May 29th in Las Vegas. Um, good fight for Devin Haney in that, you know, Linares is a nice little step up. He was for a guy like Lomachenko. Um, I think for Devin, certainly needs to give, uh, needs to, to bring a little bit of excitement. And Linares can bring that, a, a come forward fighter. Um, a, you know, a, a bit of a dangerous fighter, a guy who can certainly, uh, who can certainly put you on your ass, but you know, the one thing I'll say is we gave all this damn praise to that, to that, uh, lightweight division and you know, we gave, we're giving Ryan Garcia, we're calling him a shot caller and we're calling, uh, Gervonta Davis. who's not even at 135 yet. He's really still a 130 fighter, but you know, we all think he's going to make that leap. We're like, oh, he's the A side for what he did to uh, Leo Santa Cruz and that vicious knockout. Um, you know, Devin, probably his last performance was definitely the one that had much to be desired because it wasn't a really interesting fight. I mean, it was just uh, 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 him outboxing a, a very old Yoriokis Gamboa. But we gave all these accolades to these young guys we're calling them the four kings and all this type of nonsense and really the guy who has the toughest matchup coming on up is the reigning champ the guy who is the true lightweight champion in Tiafima Lopez this fight that he has against Cambosis is a way tougher fight than uh than than Devin Haney taking on Jorge Linares and Ryan Garcia taking what did they announce it was Fortuna is that who he's taking on uh both of those matchups are okay. They're okay. They're they're okay fights. They're taking on their mandatories or they're taking on um you know, they're taking on decent guys. But Tevima Lopez is taking on a guy, George Cambosis, who's undefeated, in his prime, getting better. You know maybe uh, you know, maybe you feel like he doesn't have the size and the power to put Cambos is away, but to me, he's the most legitimate guy who has a chance to beat the guy who's he's taken on, one of the kings, if you will. This isn't a very gimmicked fight. He is the mandatory guy for the WBO belt and earned his, his way there. And, you know, Ryan's taken on a mandatory for an interim title. Devin's taken on a guy who's a bit of a gatekeeper and I don't really heard who Javante Javante is dealing with a lot of legal stuff. So I don't even know who he's taking on right now, but for me, um, 
you know, we gave all this credit to, to this division and really only it feels to me like one of the guys has really stepped up and is is doing the whole I'm going to take on all covers. I'm going to take on the, the biggest challenges. And that's Teofimo Lopez for me right now. The other guys, I don't think they get to be in that that the, those talks right now. We'll see if that changes uh, in the in the coming weeks and days, but um, not for what their next fight set up to be. Uh, and the other piece of news is we had Demetrius Andrade. He's saying he's going to move up to 168 after this Liam Williams fight, which is going to be at the Hard Rock. I think it's a smart move for him. You got to continue to put your options into chasing the big fights. It feels like those are starting to dry up at 160. He's been chasing Charlo forever. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So at least put yourself in position to get a Billy Joe Saunders rematch. Uh, not a rematch, but rescheduling because of Billy Joe Saunders' pop test or a a uh, Caleb Plant, or a, a Benavidez, or a Canelo, perhaps. Um, doubtful, because, you know, we could have made that already, but, you know, uh, I, I think it's a smart move by Demetrius to do that. And then finally, hey, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. versus Anderson Silva is going to be uh, June 19th on pay-per-view. So Anderson Silva making that, finally making that, uh, that long-awaited uh, move to boxing. So we got that. Lots of stuff coming up, man. This is a crazy summer of fights. Crazy spring and summer of fights coming on up. That's the show for this week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.